Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable high-speed internet. Today, I am joined by Greg Metzger, the CEO of Yellowstone Fiber, and Kim McKinley, Chief Marketing Officer and Deputy Director of Utopia Fiber. Yellowstone and Utopia formed a partnership earlier this year whereby Utah's Utopia Fiber is providing operational support for Yellowstone Fiber's network in Montana. We talk more about that partnership and what it entails, how the open access models of Yellowstone and Utopia Fiber are contributing to closing the digital divide, and more. All right, Greg and Kim, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So to start off, I just want to give each of you a chance to quickly introduce yourselves and your companies. Kim, why don't we start with you? Yeah, my name is Kim McKinley. I am the uh, Chief Marketing Officer and Deputy Director of Utopia Fiber. Uh, Utopia Fiber is the largest open access network in the country uh, based out of Murray, Utah, which Murray, Utah is a suburb of Salt Lake City. But yes, um, I've been there for about 10 years, so um, I'm excited to be here today. Thanks. Awesome. And Greg, how about you? And my name is Greg Metzger. I'm the CEO of Yellowstone Fiber, formerly Bozeman Fiber. We've been operating, we were incorporated in 2015 and actually been operating since 2017. And we have had the pleasure of making a huge jump this year. We are in Bozeman, Montana. So we're, I think we're considered rural by everybody else, even though we consider ourselves a city. I mean, I'm here in Manhattan. So like I've said before, you know, Central Park is rural to me. Um, So yeah, you probably wouldn't be wrong in my opinion, but fair enough. We will consider you guys a city. So sticking with you, Greg, for a minute, can you give us a little bit more about the difference between what was Bozeman and is now Yellowstone Fiber and a bit about your model with Yellowstone and how it fits into the municipality? Yeah, we started out as Bozeman Fiber was a uh, C4 created uh, by uh, the city, the school district, and the county to provide that public network to uh, interact and keep their costs down. In doing that, they made a 25-mile loop, and we also then picked off commercial accounts along that loop uh, with minimal funding. Uh, We ended up with about 250 commercial accounts uh, mid-last year. And that took us to break even. So it was a long haul. We were a typical startup. And then we had the pleasure and we were lucky enough to um, acquire a bond and it's called an industrial revenue bond. Um, It's worth $65 million. It's gonna allow us to bring fiber by every single house in Bozeman. It's not just those anchor tenants is now every resident uh, and uh, a host of other businesses. So it's a it's a shift. Uh, we shift our name to Yellowstone Fiber just to indicate that we're able to service a bigger marketplace. Gotcha. Okay, so I have you both on the call today because of your partnership. I'm going to stick with you, Greg, again, and then Kim, I'm going to come to you, I promise. Um, Tell me, Greg, first, how the partnership with Utopia Fiber came about. And then Kim, I'll come to you. And if you could tell me a bit more about why this was the right partnership for Utopia to take on. Well, for us at Yellowstone Fiber, through COVID, we had just innumerable demands for uh, our business which we couldn't meet. So we searched far and wide for 
uh, models that might work and models that we could finance. And, you know, the, the, the needle kept coming back to Utopia. They're open network. They matched our values. Um, they had an incredible management team that's able to help us with growth and to achieve financial stability. And then at the end of the day, the truth be told, we got our bond because of the strength of Utopia Fiber and the dynamics of our marketplace here in Bozeman, which is growing fast. So that combination, you know, kind of a match made in heaven, if that's not too corny. And uh, it's fabulous. Kim, go ahead. You want to make it go. So I think I, I always go back because I remember the first call I got from, um, which was Bozeman Fiber at the time, because I was at a golf course on like hole one at a uh, like on a sponsorship event. And I remember talking um, to Bozeman Fiber at the time. And when this like, I don't think it like it did not originate as a partnership. It originated as we're an open access network. They're an open access network. How can we facilitate and help each other? from one who, Utopia, who we all know, had some struggles um, in the past. So we like, like in general, we like to help other networks. Uh, so when we started these conversations, it really just kind of was like, how can we help you? And then it kind of over the, well, took a, a while, but over the, the long haul, Greg and I have had many conversations and it just it was like, well, where does this fit? We, the thing that we like to say at Utopia is that we didn't become operationally break even until we were at 15,000 customers. And most networks, it really struggles. A lot of them fail before they get to that point. So we want to help lift up other um, municipalities or 501c3s in which um, Yellowstone Fiber is right now and just kind of give our expertise of what we've done for 20 years to these other communities. And it really was I think I, I appreciate what Greg says that it was some of the bonding help was because of the expertise that we've uh, had at Utopia, but it really comes down to the resiliency and the dedication that the people up in Bozeman and at Yellowstone Fiber had, because if that wasn't the case, we wouldn't be here today. And I, I think you would agree with that, Greg. Well, it's been a struggle and we've <laughs> stuck with it. So we... We feel like we're at the top of the hill. Now we're going down at 100 miles an hour trying to get exactly. it installed. Be careful. Um, <laughs> to that point, Greg, you guys recently announced that you broke ground. So congratulations on that. Can you tell me a bit about the service area you're all going to be covering with fiber? What is the state of broadband access there now? And how is it going to change when your network is up and running? Well, our, our basic area for this initial uh, phase is the city of Bozeman? If you, you know, if you want to just make it simple, that's what it is. Here and there, we okay. we branch into the county a little bit. Um, it, we're in an environment where there are uh, a couple legacy providers, and then the typical uh, the other guys doing over the air type service, whether it's Starlink or or local people or whatever. So, um, yeah. yeah. The advertise speeds, sometimes they'll advertise 400 by 50. Uh, the folks that get that usually end up with about 20 by 10. So we're a serviced area, but the actual performance of that service doesn't come through. When we get our, when we're done, our ethernet will provide um, sort of, we're, we're figuring the minimum we'll give someone's 250 by 250. And a gig by gig will be pretty standard. And we have the ability to deliver 10 gig. And we're a little bit future proof. That's not a word that is 
that's kind of a bad statement, but we do offer the ability to go to 100 gig, to whatever they want, because it's an Ethernet-based system. So we're going to shift the paradigm pretty dramatically for our competition. Everybody's saying they're future-proof now, so you don't have to couch it with a little bit. You can just go for a full or a future-proof. Um, so you guys are both obviously pro-open access networks, so I'm not expecting much of a debate on that topic here, but there is debate within the industry and within the federal government that's trying to write the rules on who should be getting the funding um, once the NTIA puts forward its NOFO or Notice of Funding Opportunity. Um so I would like to hear from you a bit about why open access networks work and where they work. For example, I have heard that they might not be as successful in super rural environments because it's hard enough to get one provider to stand up service there. So Kim, I'm going to come to you first as the 10-year Utopia Fiber veteran. Tell me about why open access networks are good. I think open access brings competition, right? So when we're talking about this federal money and everything else, we won't want to replace one monopoly with another monopoly. And I think that's why open access works. And I think, and I, and I would agree with your point of it's, how do you get a county or something with a thousand residents to have an open access network? And I think that is why Utopia works because it's a consortium of cities, right? You, you, you need the population base to make open access work for the providers. So that's why I think like places like Bozeman and places like where we have it works. But yes, if you do not have a consortium of communities, I don't think it necessarily works. I think you want competition in those areas. So you would want to try to make other communities around there part of the, the initiative. But I know that's not always feasible. So yes, I, I think that's where everybody always thinks it's funny that I'm like, I am pro open access. I believe in it, but I don't think it works in every single community across the country. It's as uh, I think my boss would say, if you're the monopoly, it's great to be the monopoly. Why would you not um, be the monopoly? So, but um, I think it's, it's, it's really about like, we keep talking about overbuilding and what that means. I think overbuilding really means competition in which op open access brings to a community with a one dig um, kind of policy. Greg, what do you think? Yeah, I would follow the same type of reasoning. The uh, one dig is a big deal. Um, we're going to put in a super highway and it should be um, available for everyone will say for eternity, certainly for my lifetime. So that that's one aspect of it. And that we do create competition. We live in a hilly, mountainous region. There's, there's a host of microwave providers out there that struggle to even reach some of those people. Uh, we'll be able to bring fiber to mountaintops, somewhere where they can put up a tower and reach more people. So even though there's not really the classic service provider uh, model. Some of those other folks that are in the industry that are trying to connect those rural people can use our digital type system to make theirs work better. And so I think that overall that because those folks are out there, they do need help. Typically they're smaller. And at times you'll find even a single farmer trying to run a microwave network out here. You know, that's, it's a little bit crazy and it's a little challenging for a farmer. Um, just because that's not their specialty. So I think we add that ability for someone like that to come into the fold and to use a resource that is available virtually to everyone 
if they so desire. And I think it really brings the the economic support of some of these local WISP and stuff. Because some of the providers, even on the Utopia Network, and I know someone on the, the Yellowstone Fiber Network, are local providers. So you're bringing them more opportunities to grow their business. So it's really helping local businesses thrive instead of monopolies who, who might be based out of Philly or based out of wherever, giving the, keeping your money local instead of giving it to the big incumbents again. Really great points from you both on that. And certainly a lot of the pressure to be against open access networks is coming from the incumbents who give money to our lawmakers. So final question for you both then is, this is a great partnership, even if it didn't uh, start out uh, as a partnership. So I'd love to hear from both of you as all of this funding is coming down and as people are really committed to closing the digital divide um, finally, if other municipalities or nonprofits are looking into creating some kind of cross-state or cross-municipality partnership like this, do either of you or both of you have advice that you would offer? Greg, I'll come to you first. Uh, I think the the major challenge first is obviously funding. So if you can establish the funding, then there are folks out there, whether it's Utopia or other people that can help you build that network. For us, funding was was just incredibly challenging and we needed the help that utopia offered on the finance side to make that happen you know bozeman fiber was me there was no one else and so um i think that it is possible for other municipalities to step up you've got to get someone out there who wants to make it happen and who has a little bit of passion about it because there are a lot of people against it and um you know it's a challenging it's a challenging thing to bring on and people are upset with government. And, you know, we were perceived as government as a C4, as a C3, everybody's kind of ignored us. It's pretty interesting. Not sure why, but, but that, that pressure is a lot. So you've got to have someone who can stand up to it and make it happen. Uh, and I would say, I, I kind of agree with Greg. I think the one piece of advice that I always give communities and, you know, Utopia is always w willing to have the conversations to help people like we started with uh, Bozeman Fiber. But mm -hmm. the one thing I would recommend to communities as they embark on these endeavors is talk to communities who've done this before. Talk to communities like I was just yesterday in Grant County, Washington, where open access uh, was started. And to, to talk to these communities who've been the pioneers, who've, who've kind of leveraged um, all their knowledge to get to where they are today, talk to those. There's a lot of people who are um, out there telling you um, with these slick presentations and these really big business, like nice business suits that they know what it is. Talk to the people who've actually built networks before. Um, and they will give you they will give you the pros and the cons of what they should do. And I think that is what the, the thing is, because it is all, it's feasible, but sometimes it's a little harder to get there. Like as Greg would um, say that it's not all roses and it's it's there's some there's some bumps along the way that uh, that we all deal with um, building these networks, and especially in the open access network and especially in the muni sector. Well, you guys have been awesome. This was great. I really enjoyed talking to you and I will be keeping up with both of your open access networks and everything you're doing. Thank you so much for your work and thank you for giving me a bit of your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you so much. Pleasure. 
Thank you again, Greg and Kim, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landreau, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.